I'm going to have to do this so I can hear. Okay. Love Talk Radio. Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co-host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best-selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Erica Cohn is an Emmy Award-winning director-producer who Variety recognized as one of 2017's top 10 documentary filmmakers. Most recently, Erica completed The Judge, a film about the first woman judge to be appointed to the Middle East Sharia courts. Erica co-directed, produced, In Football We Trust, an Emmy Award-winning feature documentary. Her work has been supported by IFP, the Sundance Institute, Tribeca Institute, Hot Docs, Chef Field, ITVS, Women in Film, BAVC. She founded Idle Wild Films Incorporated, which has released three feature documentaries and produced numerous branded content and commercial spots. Erica is also an avid photographer and served as a U.S. ambassadorial film scholar to Israel-Palestine. And Carol, I understand that Erica won the Roy Dean Grant for her film, Belly of the Beast. Yes, she did, Claire. And thank you so much, Erica, for joining us today. What a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, we have a lot to get caught up on here because we want to learn how you produced your incredible film, The Judge. Then we want to learn how you're distributing it, get an update on your current film in production, Belly of the Beast, and then learn more about your own production company. So let's get started with how you convince the right people to let you make your brilliant film, The Judge. So it actually started while I was on shooting hiatus with my last film, In Football We Trust, which was a a feature documentary about four young Pacific Islander men who were struggling to overcome gang violence and poverty through American football. And it was a cinema verite film, so shot over a four-year time period. And when we had a break in the shooting, I had received a Rotary Ambassadorial Scholarship to teach film in Israel-Palestine and continue my postgraduate research in Islamic feminism at Hebrew University. And there I taught film, mentored local filmmakers, assisted NGOs in launching media advocacy projects. Um, And one day a dear friend and colleague invited me to attend a Sharia law or Islamic law reform meeting in Ramallah in the West Bank, which is essentially the, the capital of the West Bank. And I was welcomed into this large conference room filled with images of Yasser Arafat throughout the years, hanging in old picture frames and and seated at a table surrounded by male judges and male sheikhs. And all of a sudden, Judge Khulud, the the subject of the film, the judge, walked in and and everyone stood to greet her. And I was immediately struck by her presence and, and really her confidence and her command of the room. 
and um, as you know, I'm drawn to to strong narratives about women, and was was really captivated by her, and wanted to know more. What who who was this woman? You know, what was her story? And at the end of the meeting, um, we had a chance to to officially meet, um, and I learned a little bit more about her backstory. Um, she used to be a lawyer representing women who were survivors of domestic violence and felt like she could best catalyze change by becoming a judge in the Sharia course um, in Palestine where issues of marriage, divorce, inheritance, custody, custody, essentially family issues um, are adjudicated. And yet there had never been a woman judge in the, in the Middle East uh, Sharia courts before. So she turned to the, to the Islamic text, to the Sharia text, um, to prove that she could actually become a judge studied for years to become a judge and convinced um, a local sheikh to help uh, champion her journey. And when she became a judge, um, you know, really created this ripple effect throughout the, the rest of the Middle East. So I was sitting there listening to the story, completely transfixed. And I told her I was a filmmaker and she invited me into her courtroom. And that was the moment that I really pinched myself and said, this is incredible. Here's this very powerful woman who is part lawyer, part judge, part, you know, marital therapist. You see all these couples and family members come in 40 to 60 cases a day. And she's just this genius uh, in how she, she deals with these cases in a timely fashion and is settling things left and right. And in that moment, I, you know, these cases are not so different from the cases we have in our U.S. family courts. Yet just a, you know, a little bit of a different setting, you know, an eight by 10 room, um, uh, not as fancy as some of our courtroom offices, although I've been told that the Brooklyn family courts are, uh, are very similar to the ones that you see in the film. And I pitched her this idea of making a film about her experiences and told her that I, I felt like her experience could really um, provide a lens in which audiences in the Western world could uh, have a more nuanced understanding of of Sharia law and really see positive imagery of strong Muslim women coming from the Middle East, which we often don't get to see in our Western media. And she said, this is amazing. I've been waiting for ways to exponentially reach people around the world. I feel like my story can help inspire young women and girls around the world to pursue leadership roles in their communities, despite whatever cultural norms or traditions might exist. So in 2012, we began this journey, and here we are today. Wow, to inspire girls and women to achieve leadership in their own communities, that is a great purpose. Yes. So you were both aligned. She wanted uh, the same thing you did. Uh, Well, I was reading a great interview uh, by Sherry Linden, And she said that armed with a good education, along with her inner strength and determination, um, and I'm not sure how to pronounce this, but Al-Fakhi is a beacon of hope, proudly championing other women in the legal profession and fearlessly challenging government corruption and incompetence when she sees it. So that alone gives you an idea of what her character is. So the next thing is, tell us how you got approval to put a camera on her so that she could capture all those images for you. 
Well, Judge Khulud opened her courtroom and her home um, to me and our filmmaking team with open arms. She was incredibly supportive of the, of the project from day one. But we had to approach the chief justice, essentially the head chef who oversees all of the Sharia courts in the West Bank to ask permission. And as you see in the film, there are multiple chief justices um, who um, are either retired or leave, um, leave the position or replaced uh, within the time span of us, us filming from 2012 to 2017. So each time I would have to go back and ask permission. And I really felt like um, I, being a woman with a small camera in this instance, I was underestimated. Um, I felt like people, uh, or, or the Chief Justice specifically, um, thought, you know, this would probably never be something big and probably not something very important. And so um, they, I, I felt like that was a part of the, the reason I was able to get access. And, you know, each, each time that we asked for permission to film um, as a new Chief Justice was appointed, it was a different process. Um, some were uh, more responsive to meeting re requests, whereas, you know, another one may have taken two weeks to, to get a scheduled meeting. Um, and during that time, I literally camped out and um, uh, would wait uh, day in, day out to, to meet with him. Well, how many hours, uh, I want to talk about editing here, because uh, you kept your camera going, how many hours a day, and did you, when did you bring your editor on? That's a good question. It's, um, we filmed a lot of the courtroom proceedings, which was a, cha a challenge in itself, because it, as you can imagine, an 8 by 10 courtroom, and I was positioned in one part of the courtroom in a corner and unable to move throughout the court proceeding. And to um, show respect to uh, the, the system in place, you know, you, you stand up when they, they recite um, uh, the oath uh, on top of the Quran. And then, you know, you sit back down. So imagine, you know, sitting with a, a small DSLR camera and having to, to stand up and sit down at different parts of the, of, <laughs> of the actual proceeding. And then we had a GoPro at another end of the room. But the GoPro batteries run out very quickly. And, you know, sometimes these, these cases last two minutes. Sometimes they last 15 minutes. And that there's not a lot of um, time in between to interrupt the flow of the of the caseload to to switch out batteries. So that was, um, you know, we were hoping that the GoPro was capturing some things, and 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 some cases actually weren't the best cases weren't um, weren't captured, unfortunately. Um, but as as people would come into the courtroom, uh, I would ask them, you know, are you comfortable being filmed? It's for a documentary, et cetera, et cetera. And a lot of times people said, no, you know, this is too sensitive. I don't want my family to know I was even here or I would prefer to stay anonymous. You can film my hands and feet or you can film my or you can record my voice. Um, and so we had to be really, really, really 
uh, inventive in how we covered scenes and or how we had audio recording of something, but weren't able to tell that story visually with the with the elements that were um, visual elements that were going on recording at the same time. So in some cases we ended up using recreations, and other in other cases we um, actually used hand and, hands and feet and obscure objects and uh, and that kind of thing. And that was one of the greatest editing challenges and also. One of the things that I feel like really makes the film unique um, is that sense of, of what's happening in the courtroom as if we are intimately there um, witnessing it, but not necessarily watching people's faces and mouths as, as you traditionally would. And so right. after that, we came out with, with maybe 350 hours of footage total and um, uh, editors Sarah Mamori and Ken Schneider um, were just an incredible team in, in whittling this down to, to the 80 minutes you see now. And when did they come on board? How soon did you hire them? So the the way I like to edit is um, as I'm shooting. So uh, we created an assembly edit about three years into the filming process. And then from there, um, we're simultaneously editing and shooting and so the total edit process was about uh, 16 months. I see. And did you, were there any ways that you made notes on a daily basis of what you felt was really important? That you, like nothing today, or we or look at this uh, interview because this was very good. Because I, I don't know how you remembered it over all those years. Uh, that's a really good question. I watch. I watch the footage. And I um, was in charge of media management as well, so I'm I'm logging um, no, I'm logging my notes, and I'm making sure that each tape name has a you know has a name that's associated with the date, um, and then of course gave it to our editor later, uh, and then we had transcripts and went through and and uh, made selects in each of the transcripts. But it right. is quite a process in remembering things from uh, from five six years ago, uh, and I was thankful to have those those notes from the field as well as the transcripts. Right. So, and your editors were they in Israel or here in America? They're here in San Francisco. Oh, great, great. So, um, all right now. Uh, I understand that ITVS is a partner and is working with you on the distribution of the film. So can you tell us more about your distribution plans and what it's like to work with them? Yes, absolutely. ITVS is an incredible partner to work with. Um, we were fortunate on In Football We Trust to have ITVS as a co-production partner. And when ITVS uh, came on board with the judge, I, I couldn't have been more thrilled. And the way that in both In Football We Trust and the judge, ITVS became involved is we applied through a program called Open Call Funding. And so Open Call Funding um, essentially is an, is an application through the independent branch of public television that um, has two funding rounds per year. And it's a very extensive application and has multiple rounds if you make it past the, the first phase, um, there's, I'm sorry, multiple phases. If you make it past the first phase, you send in additional materials. The second phase, you send in additional materials. 
and it, it's one of the largest uh, funders in terms of the amount of funding they actually contribute to the film. And so you enter into a co-production partnership. And then from there, um, the film is considered for either independent lens or POV. And with both films, uh, uh, In Football We Trust and The Judge, uh, Independent Lens came on as a broadcast partner. So The Judge will be broadcast on Independent Lens on PBS uh, later this fall, most likely in October, November. And leading up to that point, we've had a, had a really, really exciting release. The film premiered the Toronto International Film Festival in September. And from there, we went to several um, large film festivals, including Doc NYC and IDFA and CPH Docs, and, and recently the San Francisco Film International Film Festival. And we are now in the process of our theatrical release, um, just opened in New York and are opening in L.A. this Friday, April 20th. Oh, my gosh. So that would make you eligible for Academy Award nomination. Yes, we are definitely making sure we qualify. Very good. That's wonderful. So now I have heard that ITVS is really good with marketing your film. So uh, what are they doing uh, with Facebook and uh, social media? Are they helping with that position? ITVS is, and specifically Independent Lens is our broadcast partner, really galvanizes support around the broadcast. So while they're supportive of our educational, our theatrical, our festival, and then later our SBOD, which will be on Amazon after our broadcast, they really spend their energy and time marketing the broadcast. And that's, you know, it's one of the greatest ways to maximize viewership you know, a million to two million viewers per broadcast is really incredible. So that's where they focus their energy. So right now, my company, Idlewild Films, is distributing uh, the film theatrically. And uh, we're working with amazing partners on educational and kind of outreach and impact um, and have a social media team and a great publicity team and uh, a, a fabulous theatrical partner. So it's, uh, it's a multi-pronged approach. Okay, well, let's take them one by one. So um, on the theatrical, who's your partner in that area? So Idlewild Films is the actual distributor, and we are working um, with an advisor and booker named Michael Tuckman, who is, in, is incredibly experienced and has a lot of uh, great insights in this field and in order to have a well-rounded theatrical in addition to actually having the theaters booked you have to get people into this in into the uh into the theater so we yes. have a social media media team that has actively been reaching out to organizations as well as um uh an impact producer named heidi nell uh, who's with the Rabin Group, who has been working um, behind the scenes on partnerships with organizations, legal groups, women's groups, um, Muslim organizations, Muslim women organizations, um, to make sure that they know about this event and can help um, spread the word. Okay, now, so that her name is Heidi, H, you want to spell it for us, and Raven Group? Yes, Heidi H-E-I-D-I, Nell, at the Rabin Group. 
Okay, great. That's so important. That's the number one thing is connecting to those groups because they contain so many. They, they could be hundreds of thousands of people that she's reaching for you. Yes, absolutely. And it is right. we have at Idlewild Films, we have um, a phenomenal team. Um, Nicole Daka, who's uh, one of our producers, is, has been an incredible support system. And our publicity team, Adam Siegel at the 2050 group um, and Film Sprout and uh, uh, 13 Collective have been real partners in, in the educational impact, outreach, and theatrical. Oh, that's great. Well, uh, uh, tell me about the educational. After our film festival release, we really wanted to make sure the judge got into hands of educators who could help Students better understand um, Islam, better understand women in Islam, the legal uh, kind of historical backdrop of the Middle East, or also some of the like complex issues of family law that relates directly to, to what we're dealing with in the U.S. And so we've created different curriculum for different kinds of groups. So we have one for high school students. Uh, university students, uh, legal groups, uh, nonprofits, um, women's groups, interfaith groups, and are really working to empower organizations and, and professors and teachers with a curriculum that will help uh, answer and help kind of supplement their day-to-day education with uh, using clips from the film. Um, and also in a way that the film lives on beyond, beyond me as a filmmaker. There are questions a lot of people often have about the making of the film or the nuances of the film. And I, and I won't always be there to, to answer those questions. So uh, giving people the tools so that they can lead these discussions and answer the questions that audiences have on their own. Well, that sounds wonderful. You certainly have segregated all these areas. This is excellent. Um, this sounds like a lot of pre-planning and recognizing who your market really is. Yes, absolutely. And we've worked with a, an incredible organization on our, on our discussion guides and curriculum called Blue Shift. And they've also done a lot of work with public television in the past as well. Spell that for us. Blue as in the color, and then shift as in shifting paradigms, S-H-I-F-T. Got it. Oh, that's wonderful, Blue Ship. Okay, that's good to know. People are always looking for these, these companies. And your company, tell us more about it and what it does. Idlewild Films is a, is a production company that does feature-length documentaries, narrative films, fiction films, uh, as well as branded content and commercial, um, commercial production. And so we were founded in, in 2013 and really focus on um, social issues uh, and character-driven pieces. So if someone has a product they're working on, uh, then uh, how do they contact you? They can reach out at uh, info at Idlewild, spelled I-D-L-E-W-I-L-D, films, Idlewild, info at idlewildfilmsinc.com. 
Okay. So, um, and you carry something from conception all the way through marketing, just like you're doing this film, right? Yes, absolutely. This is my, really my first experience, Carol, doing a, a, a DIY theatrical. And, you know, if we, if we speak at the end of this, um, uh, I'm, I'm sure I will have a lot of, a lot of experiences and a lot of um, insights after this process as we're right in the middle of it. Oh, yes, I'd love to hear after it's over what you've learned and what you would never do again, things like that. would be great. <laughs> well, see, this is, but this is empowering now that filmmakers should know they have this opportunity to do it yourself so that when they get in front of a distributor, they're, they're not intimidated or overwhelmed with the fact that someone really loves their film. They have got to stand up to distributors because I hear too many horror stories of signing up with distributors who either do nothing to support your film or mm. take so long that, the, that it's years before you see a penny. There's too many problems out there, but um, doing it yourself takes a lot of courage, right? It does, and I, you know, I I would love to encourage filmmakers and to to empower ourselves to be able to control our own distribution. Of course, that that that's a ton of work, and a lot of filmmakers, by the time they finish the film, are are so happy to be finished with the film that they want a distributor to come on board and to be able to help exponentially reach people through through um, that kind of partnership, and are not interested in taking it on. But for those of us who you know, who are interested and do want to ensure the film has maximum impact and reaches the audiences that we set out to reach. I think DIY distribution is, is a fabulous option. And of course, I, I will say we're not doing this completely DIY. It's just the theatrical and the educational we are doing DIY. Our broadcast, of course, will be with Independent Lens, and we do have an SBOD release uh, on Amazon following our, our broadcast. And Amazon works as a, a share, profit sharing, right? You get a certain percent of the uh, fee that is paid to watch the film? They do. We did receive a, an upfront license fee um, in, addition, in addition to that. And um, Roco Films, uh, they're based in, in the Bay Area. They're, they're an incredible distributor as well as, um, you know, acting sales agent. Uh, Annie Roney um, took on our film when, uh, before before we premiered, um, and they're distributing the film internationally, so we do have that kind of support as well. Oh my gosh, this is going to have such a great life in Europe. I, I would think immediately, wouldn't it? Yes, I, I was. You know, really, really impressed when we had our our screenings in Amsterdam at Doc, um or at, at IDFA. And then at CPH docs, um, you know, I think that Europe is, is so much closer to the refugee crisis than we are in the U.S. And so there's a lot of questions about Islam and a lot of questions about, about Sharia law. And, there, you know, Islamophobia is, is very tangible and very real in the U.S. as well as Europe. And I think the film will do very well there. Oh, no doubt. Well, what about educational in Europe? I mean, I would think they'd be interested Yes, definitely. We are exploring that right now, as well as a potential theatrical release in, in the U.K. and in other select cities across Europe. 
Wonderful. Do they have uh, the cinema on demand in Europe yet? Do you know? Um, I know that with our Amazon release, we'll be reaching UK viewers um, and in other uh, countries throughout Europe as well. Oh, I see. Well, that's good. That's good. I can't keep up with Amazon. <laughs> Change every day, and it's always something wonderful. None of us can keep up with Amazon. Well, I noticed that the names of your executive producers were all women. So congratulations. But it was Geraldine Dreyfus, Diana, Lady Duncan, Barbara Dobkin, Patty Quillen, Sally Joe. I mean, it's just wonderful that they are all there to support you. I got pretty lucky, Carol. Um, I am surrounded by an amazing team of very strong women and supportive men, but I'm, I'm thrilled to have women mentors and to have a team of executive producers who are, who are deeply passionate about the themes and the issues raised in the film and really trusted me with my vision. Um, you know, I started, I started this film before In Football We Trust, my first feature-length documentary was released. You know, this was 2012, um, and very grateful to have such amazing supportive women who who championed this project. Well, yes, because you it's like you have been so busy over the last four or five years. You you were filming, then you had uh, then you had to come back and run your business, and then you had to, <laughs> and then you had to. So I, it's it's wonderful that you even survived all of this. Thank you. It's a lot of work, but it's all paying off. And look what you're leaving us, because this is a great historical document you've created. It'll be here long after I'm gone, long after you're gone, probably, because it's setting a precedent of women in the courts uh, in an area where women are so neglected and not respected. So... Uh, I think you can, this is a paradigm shift. It is just what you want to do. It's changing belief systems here for all of us. Hmm. So I I know you've been working on your other film, Belly of the Beast, for a long time. So uh, when did you really, when did you start Belly of the Beast? Was it while you were uh, working on The Judge at the same time? I, I did start working on Belly Beast a, a couple of years before um, before the judge began, actually about simultaneously with In Football We Trust, and in, in about 2010, 2011, and um, have, you know, as many filmmakers can relate to, have dealt with the, the trials and tribulations of grant, <laughs> grant writing, and at time, you know, times one film would would have a little bit of funding, and I'd be able to to hire support. And then another film would have a little bit of funding. And I've uh, have been really fortunate to be able to juggle both in football we trust Belly of the Beast and the Judge. Um, and I think that we as independent filmmakers have to have a lot of projects going on at once to be able to support ourselves and to be able to. Um, pitch different projects to funders. Of course, if we have too many, I think that that can be a detriment. Um, but for me, creatively, also helps um, helps inspire me and create new um, new ideas based on different themes and subject matters. 
And when you set up your research or say you're looking for grants, you're looking for all three films. So um, it pays off, doesn't it, when you have more than one film at, at a time? Yes. I, I mean, ideally. But there, there were a lot of times where it was very rough. Oh, a I lot of sacrifices. Was. Yeah. Well, can you just give us a little status information or update on the belly of the beast, where it is and what's happening? Yes. Um, Producer Angela Tucker and I have been actively uh, filming um, and just started the the edit uh, a couple couple of weeks ago with an editor in the Bay Area named Jean Kawahara and are in the in the final stages of editing and shooting as we go along and are hoping to finish the film end of this year. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful because this is a very important film, a good subject material, uh, but I understand why it's taken a long time to get it because there it has so many uh, stories. There's so many stories and there's so many avenues that you could have chosen to follow, but I think what you've done is uh, you've chosen the right ways to bring this out. So you hope, Thank you, hope Carol. you'll have it finished the end of the year. And then will you um, – have you thought about distribution on that? Yes. Uh, we hope for a, a, a premiere festival um, at in early 2019. Um, uh-huh. Of course, you never know, and um, it's difficult to predict. And then it would be followed by uh, a, a festival release and a theatrical, um, a broadcast. Right, uh, right now we're we're hoping for a broadcast with PBS, and um, and then you know a very targeted impact and an outreach campaign. Well, you certainly have the experience you need. But by, by the time you get ready for this film, you're going to know what works, right? I hope so. I feel like we are always learning. Even no matter how many times we've gone through this, we are always learning. That's what's so beautiful about the filmmaking process. Every time you you get to the point where you say, oh, my gosh, I think I've got it, then the universe says, oh, no, you don't. There's something new tomorrow. Exactly. Exactly. Well, um, are any of the executive producers on The Judge also supporting the Beast film? Yes, I'm very fortunate and very privileged to have um, the support of, of numerous executive producers from from the judge who are also supporting Belly of the Beast. And, of course, Geraldine Dreyfus, who is a, a, a mentor as well as a, as a partner on each of these films. I, I go to her with, with ideas first and... Um, you know, I, I don't want to make a film without her. She's really she's really kind of the the driving force behind how, how I started my career at a very young age and um, would would be I mean she's she's just such an incredible mentor and, and I hope to be able to mentor people in the way that Geraldine has mentored me. Oh, wow. Won't that be wonderful? Well, tell me at what age and what time of your life was it when you decided you wanted to be a filmmaker? It's a, it's a, an interesting story, actually. You know, I grew up in, in Salt Lake City, Utah, and, and started attending the Sundance Film Festival at a young age, which is where I fell in love with independent film. And I deeply felt the power of cinema and the, you know, this feeling of, of 
being transported into different worlds and different cultures for a couple of hours really captivated me. And then when I was 15, I made my, and I was mentored by a, a local youth media program in conjunction with the Sundance Institute. And at that time, I was really struggling with how to self-identify as a non-Mormon. Um, as you know, Salt Lake uh, at that time was predominantly Mormon. And I also came from an interfaith family. So in a city where faith defines who a person is, film really became a catalyst for me to express my frustrations with, I don't know, the kind of socio-cultural religious alienation that I was feeling and to also heal the interfaith intergenerational wounds. And so after this experience, I was so hooked on this and became really committed to providing a platform for unheard voices to be heard and untold stories to be told. And I feel like it is a tremendous privilege to be a storyteller, you know, and I feel like it comes with a tremendous responsibility. Um, and I, I really personally am driven to using cinema, uh, driven to use cinema to move audiences towards a more just world. Absolutely. Well, that's that's obvious from what you've achieved so far. But what I think is is so wonderful is the uh, the fact that you are working with women for women. I mean, and you mentioned in the very beginning that you you've been. You're teaching in Islamic feminism? I did my postgraduate research in Islamic feminism. And did you tell us about that? Um, I was, I've always been fascinated with um, women creating change through uh, a religious construct. I think for me personally, coming from an interfaith family, being pushed or pulled in, in different directions, um, and, and didn't really identify religiously because of that. Um, and so I've, I've been drawn to learning more about women who have created change throughout history um, through religion. And, of course, in, in, ev- in every religion you have very powerful women who are often left out of the narrative or whose stories don't get told. And um, for me, I studied Arabic and Middle East studies and, uh, during my undergrad, in addition to film and acting. Um, and so I, I wanted to continue learning more about, about women in Islam, and um, then that turned into Islamic feminism. Absolutely. And I think Khulud, Judge Khulud is, is, a, is a tremendous example of that and, of course, used historical figures in, in Islam to be able to justify her position um, and is creating her own history. I mean, she is paving the way for so many other women to um, to be amazing Muslim leaders. Yes, she is paving the way, and everything she does is opening doors for other women to follow right behind her. It's always the first ones that have the hardest time. It's as if they open a doorway in consciousness, and then others get through so much easier. But that's mm. what... What it takes, that's why they're called trailblazers, right? Yes, absolutely. Well, uh, I thank you so much for all the information you've give us, given us today. And I wonder what advice can you give to filmmakers who are working on films today? That is a really good question. Uh, for, for me, I mean, it's being a filmmaker is 
putting, pouring your heart and your soul into your art and then opening that up for criticism. And the whole process of raising funding, grant writing, pitching is pouring your heart and soul into that. And I think the, the more you get used to having your work of art criticized and the more you get used to rejections, not only as, as um, it being a part of life, but also as a way to fuel your passion, I think the more successful you will become. Oh, well said. Because it is an industry where rejection is an everyday thing. And um, some some filmmakers look at it in the independent world. They know they have to ask 10 people, and they're going to hit one that will say yes. But, yes. but learning to take that rejection and keep going is an art, don't you think? It's a, and it must make you a stronger person, Erica. I, I feel that way, and I would encourage other people to look at it differently as well. Yes. Well, I say if you, don't, if you don't have a few rejections sitting on your desk, you're not doing your job. You just have to keep going. <laughs> that is true. I like that. Okay. Oh, I thank you so much for joining us, and we'll take you up in six or eight months when you've got your film distributed. We want to hear how it worked. Thank you. Thank you. And I just want to say I would encourage all listeners to come out and to to see the judge and to connect with with us. I'll be um, traveling around the U.S. uh, at various uh, screenings across the nation, so so please go to thejudgefilm.com and and find out in our screenings tab where where we'll be next and and how you can join us. Um, right now I'll be in LA on the on the 20th and 21st uh, at the Lemley Monica Film Center. Um, after the 7:30 screening, I'll be doing Q and A's both on Friday and Saturday night. So please come out, see the film, spread the word, and uh, I look forward to meeting everyone. And this is April 20th and 21st. Okay. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Erica and Claire. Thank you for helping with the uh, show. We appreciate all you do. And to filmmakers, we want to thank you for listening, and we encourage you to remember to hold yourself in the highest esteem and know that your work is of supreme importance. And remember, anything you dream, you can create. Thank you so much, Claire, and thank you, Carol. Really appreciate it. All right. Lots of love. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. You're a true inspiration, Erica. Thank you. No, thank you. Well, everyone. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com. I want to remind our listeners that David Raiklin is a brilliant and talented award-winning musician who scores films and can compose music for a trio or for a full orchestra. 
David is a very good friend to the independent filmmaker and comes highly recommended by From the Heart Productions. If you need music to help tell your story, please contact him at davidraiklin.com. That's david, R-A-I-K-L-E-N.com. And Carol and I want to thank you for tuning in to the Art of Film Funding. Please visit our website at fromtheheartproductions.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter. Good luck with your films, everyone.